Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. This is our first book review of 2020. And um, to mark that occasion, we'll be discussing the Craig Walwick book, Bad People. Now, typically, the first thing that we would do is is read a bio about the author. And, and re- immediately, we're running into trouble because uh, I tried to find one. I was on Amazon, and he has an Amazon author page, but there's no bio attached to it. I looked in the actual book itself, and there's no bio. Um, I, I looked at his, you know, he's got like a blog, and that hasn't been updated since 2014. So we don't have an author-provided bio for this dude. But the good news is we, we know, we've known him forever. I wonder, because, you know, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. I can't imagine that we didn't have a bio for him at some point oh yeah you know you're probably right like we could look at the the most recent time we had him on and use that it didn't occur <laughs> sure. to me hold on i found one it says craig Walwork was in the book anthology that's from one of our <laughs> previous reviews hold on because now now i'm curious uh, maybe he see. just doesn't like having an author bio like he doesn't want people to know about him Maybe we should write a bio for him and just start uploading hold, it online. Hold on, I have the book anthology in my hands right now. Yeah, I was gonna say I found one. I found one for him from The Sound of Loneliness. Oh, I mean, feel free to. Craig Walwork lives in West Yorkshire, England. He is the author of the short story collection Quintessence of Dust and the novels To Die Upon a Kiss and The Sound of Loneliness. His fiction has appeared in various anthologies, journals, and magazines. He is the fiction editor at Menacing Hedge Magazine. He is now the formerly, formerly editor, managing editor. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's exactly the bio from the book anthology, which came out in 2013. So, uh, in the meantime, other stuff has come out. He had that book called Gory Hole, um, which I think it was a collection of a few short stories, mm-hmm. and then Serious Moonlight, which he released with Amanda Gowan a couple years back. Did you purposely skip over? Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters. No. <laughs> All right. That that kicked off uh, some fun stuff for us back in 2011. That, that was our first Halloween episode. Yeah. And it's still <laughs> like my favorite episode wow. every year. Yeah. I mean, by and large, you know, some years are better than others, right? But that's the one I look forward to every year. So I guess we have Craig to thank for that. Yeah. So uh, he has, yeah, we reviewed him. He, he's been on for, for interviews. Um, so we have a, a storied past with this gentleman, and today we are here to talk about that novel, Bad People, which Livius is going to tell you a little bit about. Three missing children. Over the past three years, the quiet Yorkshire village of Stormer Hill has lost three of its children. No bodies were ever discovered, no evidence found, no witnesses. The writer, struggling to find inspiration for his new novel celebrated crime author and ex-police officer alex palmer believes the story of the missing children could end his writer's block but is he prepared for the story that's about to develop the detective tom nolan a seasoned detective and loner involved in finding each missing child nolan is tasked with chaperoning palmer and walking through each case but as both men revisit the past and dig deeper neither are prepared for the chilling discovery to why the children were taken the brethren a secret cult, two men, and a series of brutal and unimaginable murders spanning over seven years with one intention, to show the world that death can be justified if it's for a greater good. 
Let's start with the synopsis. Um, yes, I did not read the synopsis, as I often don't do if I just know we want to read somebody's work. So the synopsis is pretty straight on. Um, one thing that I find interesting, I guess, about this, and we'll get this as we talk about the book, I felt like right from the top that Alex Palmer was the protagonist. But yeah. maybe about a third of the way in the book, I didn't necessarily feel like he was the protagonist. And now it makes sense because clearly they're both listed in the body. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like I felt like it started off as the protagonist. And I felt like he kind of dropped off as, as the main character and that it shifted a little bit to, to Nola, the cop. Yes, and um, the interesting thing, so t- like, we've said this a million times, typically we don't read the synopsis before we read the book because we don't need to be sold on it. We're already, we've are already we already made the choice to, to read it. Um, I think I read the synopsis before I understood who the characters were, like when I was reading through the book, so it didn't necessarily like trigger to me anything when I was reading through the book, um, but I agree. I definitely felt like there wasn't there was ambiguity to who the clear protagonist was. However, if you look at the listing uh, on Amazon for this book, um, in parentheses it says Tom Nolan Book One. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, this so Amazon de- disambiguifies. I just made that word up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> disambiguates uh, who the protagonist is, but you make a very good point because um, the book isn't beating you over the head with, this is the clear main character of the story. Um, And and for reasons that are spoilery to talk about, um, I I feel like it was actually very intentional and kind of well executed. Yes, I I certainly agree with that, but we should start... (laughs) <laughs> at the beginning, right? So after uh, after a quick prologue, we're introduced to Alex Palmer, who, as it says in the synopsis, is a very successful crime writer, and he has made his way to Stormer Hill on the news of these missing children to kind of get that writer's look at what's going on and you know around the town and and you know and he's he's pretty specific about not wanting to write a book about these kids, but. I mean, I guess if you're a crime writer, what better way to, to investigate your next book than to get involved in something like this? And, and he, through some connections that he has, is able to secure Tom Nolan, who's a detective, to kind of give him the lay of the land, so to speak. So that's how we're, we're introduced to both of these characters. Uh, Alex is the outsider. Nolan is the, the cop that's essentially, you know, a little standoffish uh, about the whole, whole thing. Here comes, uh, you know, this rich former cop turned author to pry into the lives of people in this small town who obviously are overcome with grief at having, you know, recently lost a third youngster to mysterious circumstances. And it's exacerbated by the fact that, uh, like Livia said, this is the third child in the course of um, just about four years. And so as time goes on and these missing children's cases continue to not be solved, you know, I think the when the story starts, the third one had happened within the last like six months or so, if I could be wrong about that. But, uh, um, like the, the town starting to like lose faith. Well, is definitely losing faith in the, in the police department. And obviously the police are feeling 
de- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Defeated? Maybe defeated a little bit. Like they're definitely they, they're they're feeling the 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 effects of of the continued failure. Like it's starting to weigh on them that like you know it hurts them as bad as it does the town, but they're also to blame for <laughs> for not finding the kids because they're it's it's their job. So tensions are definitely just doing nothing but but rising uh, as Palmer arrives. And so not only does he have to get over the whole, oh, you know, this guy is trying to profit on our tragedy kind of thing, but um, it's just, it's stirring the pot more that, that he is arriving now um, when things continue. Nothing is happening, basically. Subsequently, we're introduced to a character named Graham Slade, um, Graham's a, an interesting character. He's a, he's a little bit on the simpler side. Um, he lives with his elderly mother. He has secured a job as a janitor at a, a local elementary school or whatever they're called in England <laughs> school for school for young kids. Um, and, and he has, you know, he has a couple of things going on. He has a little bit of a mysterious past. We'll say that's how we're kind of introduced to him with not a lot of background, but you know, there's some things happening he also um, has some interactions with a creature character that may or may not be of this world. I don't think we want to talk too much about that, but let's just say that Graham, um, some decisions in his life are made based on conversations he has with another being. Yeah, and so um, there's a couple other characters that that are, are big enough to talk about. Um, so Slade's mom makes somewhat of an appearance, and she's kind of a grumpy old gypsy woman, I guess is like the the uncouth way to say it. She's she's kind of like that. She's like a medium almost, right? She she believes in all the crystals and yeah that kind I mean, of you stuff said gypsy and i said hippie and i'm sure we both say them equally with the, the same amount of disdain so i, I guess that's fair. let's say hipsy and that way i don't have to apologize You're for just... using a derogatory word you're inventing all kinds of new words this episode i love it and then you've got the boss of tom nolan a man named mark coonan who is um i don't understand like the ranking over there but he's detective in- inspector and nolan uh, nolan is detective constable or something like that but anyway um he's the boss he's the guy that's in charge of these these missing persons cases um he's like the point dude on it um but he's also he's he's kind of a by the book dude so the the handful of times he's really prominent in a scene um like they'll say we want to do this and he'll say okay we'll do this and this so that i can do this you know and he's very Mm -hmm. by the book um which is kind of I don't know. It's it's interesting to see because like a lot of people like to write the, you know, the type of cop that's just like, you know, he'll break the law to enforce the law. So, yep. Yeah. I wanna I wanna sidetrack us for a minute because you mentioned the little bit of like confusion that you had around the the rank and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really liked about this book, but I will caution that this is also perhaps a pitfall is there's a genuineness in my reading a book that takes place in the UK 
where some of the language is a little bit harder to understand. And I, and I think that, that what you're saying there is, is a good example of that. Like it lends a little bit of, of more authenticity to me because very clearly it's in England, right? Like the names of the town are brought up a lot, you know what I mean? And it has a very, I don't want to say small village, but a, but a smaller town feel to it. And I think that not just whatever weird rankings they use for the police system there, but some of the general language in there, I, I'm not sure, how do I say this? There were times where I was like, kind of wonder what that means. And yeah, I well, don't know if someone in England would have picked up on all of that and understood all of it. And I'm just a little bit left out, but I actually enjoyed that. I thought it lent a little something to the story. Yeah. And to give an example of what Libby is talking about, um, if there's a policy or, or like a specific type of paperwork that's involved, it's just referred to as that policy or paperwork. It's not explained. So like, um, you know, like I got a ticket for jaywalking it would be, you know, with no explanation of what jaywalking was, it, you know, is kind of, that's my dumb American example, but which is kind of nice, but they also refer to the Met, which I think is like the Metropolitan Police, like the London Police. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, nice authenticity I, to it, not trying to dumb it down for an American audience. I, I Like, this is just an example that I highlight. It says, well, that Levy kid, his mother used to molly coddle him to an inch of his life. And I'm like, this is fucking perfect. I mean, I get the general idea, but I'm like, I love this word, molly cuddle. Like, this needed to be in the book. Now, to anybody who's in England, it's probably like, we use that fucking term all the time. These guys are idiots. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if you guys jaywalk, though, as Rob so eloquently uh, mentioned just a moment ago. So that's, yeah. I, I like that a lot, though, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I kind of had a note to talk about it later on, but I thought that was a good time to break in. Cool. Uh, back to the story a little bit. Like ba- uh, after the the general setup that we gave you, um, I, I want to say that from a, a pers- uh, from a, a narrative perspective, it is a third person narrative. We do see um, from the perspective of different characters. So some chapters or parts of chapters were following what's going on with Alex Palmer, other parts of chapters or full chapters. We see what's going on with Tom Nolan. Um, and, and it's not necessarily restricted to those two. Um, we get um, characters percep- perspectives from a lot of people, not all of them, but like a lot of the characters. Um, and so as the book goes on, we are following the police investigation, but also Alex Palmer's experience with going to this small town and, trying to use um, what he learns about these these crimes to inform the book that he's trying to write. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to go just a step further um, into plot. So, you know, as Rob said, we kind of follow these people, and as they come closer to revelations, I guess is a good way to say it, um, there's another abduction, and that really kicks everything kind of into high gear. So structurally, um, not, not a ton different from your missing kids, you know, narrative, I think, right. That's kind Mm -hmm. of the thing. There's always a number and then there's one it's like urgent because this one is fresh. Yeah. It kicks off the second Um, act kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the book follows a, a similar structure to that, but this one's really all about the characters and kind of the, the whodunit. Not that it's necessarily, you know, written like a mystery, but 
but I think, you know, it's strength and what differentiates it is in you've got an author, you've got a detective, you've got this weird guy, Slade, running around, you know what I mean? And, and like his perspective on things and how it all comes together. So to address the uh, the cult kind of brethren thing that was mentioned in the synopsis, um, there is there's some weird weird stuff going on, and so how that manifests in the story, um, aside from every now and then the Alex Palmer character will like think he sees someone, and maybe they're not actually there um, early on, and then uh, you know we see what that means later on. Um, Graham Slade specifically encounters some pretty macabre stuff um, when he goes to work at the school. He he finds a pig that's cut open. And um, it's got a tattoo on it that's got some words um, from like a I don't know it's, it's poem or whatever. Um, so it, there's some like, there's some culty kind of weird stuff um, that does have a connection to what's going on with these these missing people. Um, so there is a there's a quality to the book of how does this fit in? What is the goal of whoever's doing this weird freaky shit? Um, so it's not just your your straight crime procedural. Well, I guess I mean like. It feels like one of those, like, like a mini series you'd watch on Netflix or something. That's like, uh, you know, could it be like the actual devil is here, or is it just someone acting really fucked up, like that kind of thing? Which mm-hmm. I, I might be yeah. a little off on that. <laughs> I I think um, so. Craig explains it, and this is from you know some emails with him, and, and I believe some stuff he's posted on social media, that it is a crime story that kind of leans into the horror genre. And I think that's a pretty fair way to to address this. At its heart, it's a crime book. Yep. Um, but it is not, you know, um, I'm trying, like the movie Snatch, which is also a crime story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This this definitely has a much darker uh, tone to it than than your average crime book. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how much farther we can go on plot just because, um, it gets pretty spoilery after this. Yep. Um, I will say that we could talk maybe a little bit about characters. Um, one thing I like about Alex Palmer, who, like I said, you know, at least initially is, is almost presented like this is the guy you're going to spend all your time with and root for in the book. Um, I really like that the, the peak we get at him is that he's not typically that character, right? So the the author stumbling onto a crime thing right. is, you know, the the white knight, but he's not like the best person. Like some of his insights into his past don't indicate that he's like like he's a flawed character. For sure. And I would say that um probably one of my what I think is a bigger strength of this book is that Wallwork does a very good job of slowly revealing the character might not be, you know, the normal guy we're expecting, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's not revealed right away, but as the book goes on, you might, like, it's slowly revealed that, oh, I might have read this character wrong. There might be something else, you know. You might not be, like, the, the Shining Armor kind of guy. Yeah, and, and you know, in the in re- so what I said, it's it's like backstory for him. And you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, this isn't all that protagonist-y, right? And what yeah. I'm talking about is he kind of reflects on, like, some of his, like, past relationships and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and again, it lent a genuine feel. Like, we, we see the guy. He's successful. He's obviously a talented writer, right? Like, he's, he's a pretty good guy. 
he's not stepping on any toes. But then you're like, oh, he does have some issues with people and relationships. You know what I mean? It's just it's a refreshing kind of um, look at it. He's not the the sad widower that never found love. You know what I mean? Like it it was just. Yeah. So it wasn't very tropey. And, And I'll say similar thing for the detective, who's the other kind of clear protagonist um in in the story is that he's you know he's like kind of overweight he you know he's not um whatever you know brad pitt he's pretty unremarkable yeah 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 so i i I like what he did there and then slade you know we talk about graham slade a little bit he's he's a little slow um i think rob simple-minded as the as the description in our notes And, and that's um that's exactly it. You know what I mean? He's simple-minded. He's got these quirks. He's got this mother, this hipsy, hipsy mother. Is that what we decided? <laughs> yeah, so there's, she's a there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good character stuff going on here. Even Kunin, the, the, the boss, yeah, the boss cop who isn't, you know, how do I say this? He, he, there's not a lot of page time for, for that guy, but even he's got some shit that like, you know, kind of grounds him in reality more than more than you expect when these characters could be very tropey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, this book definitely does not suffer from having um, predictable characters. I think everybody has somewhat of an arc or at least um, he does a good enough job of uh, sh- uh, shifting his representation of different characters so as to keep the mystery going. Um, and like you, you get a simple-minded character in a town where kids go missing. What's your first thought? You know. So, uh, the fact well, that oh, Rob, I guess if we're stereotyping, <laughs> your first thought would be it's the simple-minded school janitor. Well, no, my first thought is the town is going to think it's the simple-minded school janitor. Oh, all right. Uh, I see. Uh, see how I escaped from that one. You're stereotyping janitor. You're stereotyping the town that's going to think that I got gotcha. you. Never mind. Uh, so yeah, he does a great job of uh, evolving the characterization. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, it but in this, in service of the story, I think that the way that the characters, your impression of them, um, you know, grows, uh, makes the story more believable and more interesting and, and in general just kind of boosts all of it. It's, it's one of the strengths of the, the book for sure. Indeed. Um, a little bit about the writing wall works, a talented writer and storyteller. There's not a, a ton. I, I think that we need to say there, except that it's well-written and it's not, um, it's sparse enough. So it's a short book, right? What was the final page count on, on the printed version? Do you know offhand? Amazon's got it at like 262. Yeah. So it's not a terribly long book, but it flows really well. It, it, it's written in, in bite sized chapters. I believe there's 42 chapters, maybe. Yep. 43. Yeah. So you're looking at an average of like six pages per chapter. So it moves pretty quickly in that kind of um, perspective shift that typically happens between chapters. Um, and, and to that point, a friend of the podcast, uh, Jesse Lawrence, uh, texted and asked how the book was so far. I'll re- read some of what I texted back because I think it's definitely relevant to what we're talking about here. About the language that he uses uh, uh, and just the style of, of light writing, like Livius was saying, I said he writes in a way that has mass market appeal, but with his signature kind of flourishes. And again, remember, we've read you know multiple books by Craig already. Um, he can be poetic in descriptions without coming off as flashy or purple or indulgent. Uh, 
uh, it's clear his writing has made a big step up, you know, from from earlier books. And I know this sounds a little bit like a wrap up, but just, you know, this is me talking to friends about this guy. Um, so, you know, my my remarks to Jesse are basically kind of re- marveling at the fact that, like, while he keeps the um, the language very accessible to everybody, he manages to make it trying to think of the best way to say it but uniquely almost poetic in certain times not all the time and i think that's that's where it's good like there's you know a a a serviceable narrative that he'll slip in just like a mind-blowing description of something you know at a normal pace so that it's it's like a step above like your average kind of like crime novel if that makes sense yeah it does Absolutely. And I, and I fully agree with you on what, you know, this is for certain mass market appeal, but Britain did a grade higher than that is really how I thought about it. I know I messaged Rob and said, this one, this one has really wide appeal. Like it's definitely, you know, I don't want to say mass market. Like I know that's the term we use, but I, I feel like people may take that as derogatory. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's, that's it. It's got an air. It's not, it's not wildly out there. It's accessible. It's written in a way where it's, it's not, you know, overly wordy, but it's still written well. Like it, it really hits all the marks for, for something you'd find on, on the shelf at borders or in the, you know, airport bookstore or, you know, hopefully not at borders. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. They, they went out of business. Didn't they? Yeah. Let's see. Barnes and Noble. So much time yeah, I spend in bookstores. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, head down yeah. to the borders and see if I can get me a wall work out of there. Good Lord. Um, so, yeah. And, and yeah, when I said mass market, as Livius kind of elaborated, I definitely mean like how big of an audience does this person have the ability to reach a mass market? <laughs> you want to wrap this up? Yeah. I'm going to take a minute and say that a um, <clears throat> couple of things before we get to wrap ups. I do want to say, we have an entirely new rating system, which is completely and entirely um, due to Rob. And I say that in case people hate it, too, so that I could be like, well, mm-hmm. I told you whose fucking idea this was, right? So uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, the other thing I just want to say that I said on the last episode that I need to be harder on books this year. So I want to preface any <laughs> wrap up or rating with the fact that I'm going to be very stingy with the highest rewards for ratings this year. Not implying that this book is not going to get a high reward. I just want to remind the listeners and myself that it's a new year and it's a new Livius. And I will not give like six five-star reviews in a row or whatever I saw when you put it on that spreadsheet for me. And I was like, Jesus (laughs) Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So the bar has moved higher, but um, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the new review system. We do have a video over on YouTube. It's relatively short. Um, We suggest you pop over there and check it out so you can understand um, the reasoning behind the new review system and really how it works. So head over to YouTube.com, Booked Podcast, if you search for that. Um, If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe. We promise there will be more video content coming this year. Hit the like button and the notification bell and make a comment and do all that stuff annoying YouTubers ask you to do. Because we'd really like to move, um, not away from doing this, but moving into doing some video stuff. So if you could do that, that'd be great. I actually have some really fun ideas for videos. I just have to get around to figuring how to do video. <laughs> and the, so you go into your camera app on your phone, 
And I don't know how it works on the Androids, Wait, but here's that. Wait. <laughs> It's Hold the on, one slow that's down. Like, You're going too fast. It's a little picture of a camera. <laughs> Got it. Now, see, every time I do this, it's just a bunch of pictures of me doing. <laughs> Never mind. I'll figure this out on my own. Um, it's going to be a bumpy ride, guys. But yeah, absolutely. There's going to be more more content for YouTube as we um, as we go through 2020. Because honestly, we just felt like, hey, let's just do more work. Why not? Why not just do more stuff? Right. Isn't that I was like, we... Rob, how are you video editing? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. And it, yeah, yeah. Livius mentioned having a DSLR camera, and I was like, whoa. You're yep. going to get one of those weird umbrellas that's got a light inside of it next? I, um, so little known fact when we do uh, the Facebook lives, I'm actually using <laughs> one of those lamps, but with, without an umbrella. Oh, all right. You should. Yeah. It's actually yeah. a photography lamp just running like just bulbs you know not like a flash but just running live whatever they're called hot bulbs or something i don't know anyway whatever hot bulbs Listen, tell folks <laughs> um a little bit about the new rating system okay uh we're not going to go into a whole thing here um but uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little about the inspiration for for the rating system uh we've been basically doing this already but kind of from scratch every episode um, because the things that we've always talked about plot and, you know, the narrative and uh, the pace of the book and stuff, that's what we're rating. We're just kind of breaking it out to give a more comprehensive understanding of why we thought, you know, how we did about the book. Um, so we will elaborate on that in the video over in YouTube. Um, but that's, that's why we did it. It's just more of a, a guideline, and maybe it gives us the idea to have more consistency, but also for, for you, the listener, hopefully you get a better understanding of what we thought did and did not work of the book instead of just trying to, you know, uh, read the tea leaves of, of all that shit we said in one big block. Um, the biggest... Eight years <laughs> in. Eight years in, and I'm finding out that Rob was using some kind of system <laughs> and not just his gut for giving number reviews to books. And here I am. I'm like, nah, I feel like four and a half stars today. What the fuck? Uh, the big, <laughs> yes, exactly. I was, I was holding out on you. Biggest change you're going to notice is that we are not going on a five star system anymore. This score is going to be out of 10. Um, and, uh, uh, in the episodes that, that you hear, probably it's not going to sound like us talking about, a bunch of different categories and how we rate each one of them. We're probably going to do a general summary using some of those keywords. Like, Hey, I really thought the pace of this book was, you know, a strong point of it. Um, but not necessarily saying, all right, my audience score was for my, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, we're mm -hmm. going to try and keep it, uh, conversational. Um, but, but using the score for ourselves to, to give a more comprehensive understanding of what we thought of the book. For sure. That's all I had to add to that. You did a wonderful for, for, <laughs> uh, I, I, do you want You want me to start with my wrap-up? Yes, please do. All right. This is me rubbing my hands because I'm excited about this. Uh, it's been it's been a little bit since we had a, a chunky wall work story. Uh, back in 2017, Sirius Moonlight was a kind of a shorty, kind of a, 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 a quick story. So we haven't had a, a novel from his in several years. 
I've always enjoyed his his style of writing. I thought he had a very um, approachable uh, method of storytelling. So I, you know, I was excited to see what his latest thing was. Uh, as I alluded to, maybe when I was talking about my texts with Jesse Lawrence, I feel like his writing style has absolutely grown. I feel like he's he's whatever happened, you know, since his last novel that we reviewed. There's definitely some maturity to the way that he writes. This particular story, I really enjoyed um, the the character aspect of the book. I think that he, like, we talked a lot about the characters in our um, in our in our conversation earlier. I think that one of the strong points of the book is the characters and how they evolve as the book goes on, and how it affects our perspective of who they are and what they what they mean to the story absolutely one of the strongest parts of the book um, along with the fact that the narrative was just very interesting like um, the fact that we got to see things from different people's perspectives um, but we're still uh, not 100% sure of what was going on even up to close to the very end Um, really great the end of the story was we didn't really mention it before but pretty wild and uh, it's funny because somewhere I read the I think in Wallwork it might be the end of the book he had some acknowledgments and comments and he mentioned that this book was a thriller and that's where I was a little bit confused because the pace of the book doesn't read like a thriller to me so I was a little bit thrown off by that because one of the things I thought was it feels like I'm taking a leisurely pace through this book it's not something that's just like a page turner it's not your two or three page um, you know, Patterson chapter kind of thing. Uh, so it didn't feel fast paced. It didn't feel like a page turner, but it didn't take me a long time to read it either. So I think maybe it was just me getting very engrossed in the, in the story, but pace was a little bit of a question mark for me because, you know, I didn't necessarily feel like it was like a super fast paced book. Um, all that being said on our brand new shiny, um, it's still got the plastic on it. We have to pull off, um, 10, uh, 10 star rating. I'm giving this book 8.75 stars. All right. I, uh, by and large agree with, with everything that Rob said. Um, so I'll, I'll focus on a couple of things that, that I liked that maybe he didn't touch on, or I think maybe just need additional, um, commentary. So wide audience for sure. Um, and, part of the scoring system without getting too far into it is, you know, is this kind of book that anybody could pick up and enjoy? So yes, I, I think it, it is really macabre in places and, and, and really um, foul. So for me, that's fine. I know there's probably a, a little cross section of the population that needs to, to stay away, uh, you know, from that kind of stuff that it's really just not for them. Um, and, and then language. I, I, I love the way he writes. Like I said, it, it, it gave in, and, and I know he's, he's, you know, he lives in England, like, so it's authentic for him. Like he, he could write a, a, a cookbook recipe, right. And it would probably have the same kind of sound and feel to it. But, uh, I, I really like that. It really, um, grounds the book as it didn't take place in your neighborhood. Like it has a locale. And, and for me being, you know, the, the dumb American as Rob mentioned earlier, you know, it, it really lends, uh, an authenticity to, to the, um, locale uh, of the story. Um, 
I, I agree with Rob on pace. I didn't think it was too fast. I thought it was kind of just right. Um, one of the one of the issues, maybe, and I don't even know if it's an issue. One of the things about writing a multi-perspective book is that pace can feel a little weird because sometimes you have to see what all three people are doing or four people or however many at the same time. So if you had a, a first-person narrative, that person would be going the whole time, right? So you'd feel like the story's moving at, at a certain pace. When you introduce multiple viewpoints, you know, not always, but in that critical um, climax of the book, let's say, you may have to show two or three or four different people's events. So the events of the book take place over the course of half an hour, but you have to spend two hours on it because you have to look at four different um, viewpoints. So, um, yeah, like I said, Rob's right. I liked, uh, you know, the plot was good. The the narrative was great. Um, I came in, and now this is all done mathematically, so you're going to hear some weird things because we actually put in scores for eight different categories. Uh, 8.5. Which brings the overall average, if Rob's math is correct, 8.63 for this book out of 10. I feel like that's pretty good, right? Well, I mean, let's really um, let's really break it down. If it was a five-point system, that would be 4.32, so almost four and a half stars. Yeah. Right? I mean, if we kind of... Well, and it's the highest score we've given on a 10-point scale so far. So yeah. He's got that. <laughs> there you go. This is a terrible job. <laughs> I mean, look, like I said, there's. It, it's always tough as being the first to, to yeah. on something. So yeah. I said, I'm going to really look at these goddamn ratings. I'm giving these books. I'm giving out too many fives, right? So there's that. Sorry, Craig. And then, you know, there's a whole new system we have to work through. So we'll see. We'll see. The nice thing, the, the best thing about this is, and not necessarily move quickly away from Craig's book, but I love the spreadsheet that Rob set up for this because we'll just be able to click through yeah, and look at different scores for these different categories. Watch the video. Watch, go, go watch the video. That's all I'm saying. Go subscribe. <laughs> YouTube.com slash book podcast, I think, maybe. Uh, yeah, probably. One of us could verify that. Um, it's uh, This is one of those things that we're... Uh, I feel like for some, so looking back, we just did a decade review, so I'm not going to get too like retrospective in this, but like looking back at 2017, I feel like we did the absolute bare minimum and we've just been trying to bounce back from that since. And so getting some big name authors to interview and doing some other stuff. Uh, and, and I feel just pretty charged up for 2020. So, um, giving ourselves a better rating system and trying to do, I don't know. Interesting new stuff. I feel like it's going to be the theme of 2020. It's a new decade. Um, yeah. So besides that, uh, we will be at some point having a discussion between amongst ourselves to, uh, to try and revamp and, and, uh, update our Patreon. Not only because the video on there is like five years old now and not, not necessarily relevant to what we're doing in the modern day, but um, also because, like, uh, you know, uh, things change. We want to see what we can do to to kind of liven things up. And uh, we, we always want to bring good quality stuff to the listeners and the supporters on Patreon. And so, you know, every now and then, why not just shake it up and try something different? Yep. So if you're a Patreon supporter, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to us. If you're not, what are you waiting for? Patreon.com slash booked. 
$1 a month. That's all we're asking for. We're actually asking for like $28 a month, but we'll settle I mean, for a yeah. dollar a month, which is really, when you think about from a negotiation standpoint, how this works, if I said, you know, 28 and someone said one, then I'd have to say like 20 and they probably have to say like five. So really we're just going, just go, go with the buck, man. Go well, with the buck. See, go with and this is, this is exactly why we we're going to have a conversation. Cause I, Livius knows I mentioned before, what if we just asked for $2? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, that would be double look, the money right, immediately. Exactly. And here's what I'll tell you. If you guys want to <laughs> prove me wrong, absolutely go. And either change your donation to two dollars if you're only doing a dollar, or just do two dollars, and you will prove Livius wrong. And really, what better feeling is there in the world than proving me wrong? That's why I'm still a part of this podcast, just like continuing opportunities to prove you wrong. I know. Sometimes I purposely say things that are wrong so Rob can prove me wrong, so he'll stick around. It's a it's an ugly abusive relationship we're in. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, what is that uh, co? codependency kind of thing going on yeah something like that back to craig's book um we're recording this on the 14th of january uh the release date for this book is the 17th of january uh on you know amazon and probably all the other places you can buy books at so uh um, by the time you're listening to this most likely the book will be available um and not for a ton of money so i think you should absolutely buy it read it rate it all that stuff for sure. We want to thank Craig for getting us a review copy. So we appreciate that. So we get this out in a timely fashion for you guys. Next week, this is going to be our third episode of, of 2020. <laughs> and we're taking a week off. Interlude, baby. Interlude. Um, Rob and I have a lot of stuff, podcast stuff to do. Um, so we've decided to leave ourselves a little bit of room. What I will say, it's not going to be one of those interludes where we have nothing to talk about. I feel like we have the content and the discussion material to do an interlude right now, but we're not going to do that because we have some stuff to do for YouTube, for Patreon. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe Rob and I can get a bite to eat or something. We'll see. Ah, I knew that. Yeah, I'll probably be hungry. Yeah. There you go. So um, Rob and I will have one of those rare in-person booked meetings tomorrow. Um, basically, uh, the catalyst for that, although we have other stuff we need to do is the mugs are here 2019 booked podcast patreon mugs we're gonna have a packaging party at casa del rob um tomorrow night uh, and then like i said some other podcast related stuff we're gonna be handling so i'm excited about that yeah we could uh we could do a the first interlude from the mcdonald's play area we could do that. nice yeah we could we could videos from rob's car coming like up me coming so. down a slide and shit <laughs> Dude, we get thrown out so fast. It's That's the problem. They're like, That's why the did problem. the biggest guy in town decide to go down this slide? Yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> any rate, that's what we've got for this week. Um, hope you enjoyed our first review of 2020. Many more to come, probably like 20 or so this year. Oh, my God. Yeah. At so, least. You, you, you've got some work to do, listeners. You got to go subscribe to our YouTube. You got to go sign up for $2 on the Patreon. Um, and then you got to come back soon to, to check out an interlude where we have, uh, we, me, me and Livia started sending each other articles about stuff and then, and they're just interesting. So we'll have some good conversation next week until then I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. 
There's no way they're going to give us two bucks, bro. 